This podcast is brought to you by the Reform Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reform Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reform views based on the Word of God and the Reform Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. Returning God's Word this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We read God's Word. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do we not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now therefore there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud, and that your brethren... Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by His own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ? and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. We turn now to the Heidelberg Catechism based upon the Scriptures that we have read from this morning. The Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 13. This morning we consider 
question and answer 34. So the second question and answer of Lord's Day 13. We've considered the names of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, Jehovah Savior. That was Lord's Day 11. Then Christ, the Anointed One, Lord's Day 12. The first part of Lord's Day 13 was the only begotten Son of God, and now our Lord. Wherefore callest thou Him our Lord? Because He hath redeemed us, both soul and body, from all our sins, not with gold or silver, but with His precious blood. And we don't stop there, notice, describing the Lordship of Christ. Having redeemed us, we find another, another verb, and hath delivered us from all the power of the devil, and thus hath made us his own property. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is a lordship issue. A lordship issue in our churches. I don't know how widespread it is, but it's a lordship problem. It can show itself in a doctrinal issue. The false doctrine of antinomianism is one example. And that error has to do with the lordship of Jesus Christ. To those caught up in antinomian ideas, Christ is Savior, but He is not really Lord, though there is lip service paid to that. To those caught up in antinomian ideas, Christ saves me from all the guilt of my sin, but He is not the one who actually rules over me as Lord. He works by grace for me, but He doesn't work in me to bend my will to want to serve Him and actually serve Him in all good works. In contending against antinomian theology, Jude, Jude, second to last book of the Bible, 1 verse 4 points out the antinomian error as being an error about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. In Jude 1 verse 4 we read, for there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness or free-for-all. And then this, getting to the heart of the matter, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Essentially, the false doctrine of antinomianism insists I am Lord, rather than Jesus is Lord. The false doctrine of antinomianism is not the only error. There's also Arminianism, which we have seen in many other sermons before, is actually very similar, has many similar tenets to antinomianism. Arminianism in any form of works righteousness also denies the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Christ the Lord insists that all of salvation is of Him. The salvation is not dependent on you, but on the Lord. The Lord, our righteousness, is our salvation. And the Arminians or any of those who hold to a form of works righteousness insist, no, I, have, I am Lord. It's by my free will as Lord that I make myself accepted before God. It depends not on the will, therefore, of the Lord Christ, but on the will of Lord me. But this is not only a theological issue. The Lordship of Christ is a very practical issue, even among those who speak properly against antinomianism and Arminianism. Reform young people Reform young adults, it is sometimes said about us, about you, that you hold to all the right doctrines, 
But apparently, you are the ones partying on the weekend, cursing, using the sexual innuendos of the world, watching the worst of the movies, and addicted to all kinds of substances. Now that might be slander, and I pray it is about many of you. But that is a lordship problem, if that is the case in your life. To say He's my Lord on the Sabbath day, Sunday, the Lord's day, and then the rest of the week to live as though you are slaves to Satan. That is to bring blasphemy against the name of Lord Christ. The problems of abuse in our churches is also a lordship issue. The abuser is especially a manipulator. He thinks of himself as Lord. And so he controls, he acts, he deceives to get his way, to guilt others into doing what he wants, and to threaten them to be silent about it. I am king, I am Lord, is what he thinks, ignoring the lordship of Christ over him. And the rampant rebellion against authority is also a lordship issue. Sometimes in response to real abuse, in response to real wrongs by those in authority, we can respond in rebellion, which is the same lordship issue. We begin to treat leaders in the church or leaders in the government with great disrespect and hatred, speaking evil of them. But those are the leaders and authorities which the Lord has placed over us. Rebellion is a lordship problem. And there are many other applications I can bring and will bring through this sermon. But beloved, we must know Jesus as Lord. Truly know Him and believe Him as Lord. Not only is Jehovah, He is Jehovah, and in the King James Version, all caps, L-O-R-D, point us to Jehovah. But He is also Lord in the sense of Master, capital L, and then lowercase o-r-d. He is Master, and we are under His authority and power. Not to believe Him as such a Lord. Master is really to believe a false Christ. The true Jesus Christ is both Savior and Lord. And so I call you this morning on the basis of God's Word and the Catechism to confess as you do tonight in the Apostles' Creed with all your heart, He is my Lord and together our Lord. First, His identity we consider this morning. Second, our identity in Him. And then finally, the calling. His identity, our identity, and finally, our calling. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord, the Catechism shows us, especially by virtue of His work of redemption, His redeeming work. But before I get to that, briefly, I point out another way that Scripture shows us He is Lord. He is Lord by virtue, first of all, of His creation. He is the Creator God. Colossians 1 points us to this. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 describes Christ's Lordship or Headship, as Paul in Colossians puts it, a synonym of Lordship. For by Him, that is by this Christ, were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. Our Savior, even before He came to this earth as a man, was from all eternity Lord. And He created all things. So that all things have been created by the word of His mouth in six literal days, about 6,000 years ago, out of nothing. Because He created all these things, 
He is Lord over all. He owns it all. He has authority over it all. He has power over it all. If Jesus is your Creator, your Maker, then you are obligated, even though not everyone does this, you are obligated to submit to Him. All elect or reprobate, all angels or demons, all young and old, poor or rich on this earth, must recognize Him as the Lord, Creator. And one day, He will make sure every knee bends before Him as Lord. Even if it is by force. He is the Master. He is the Creator. And those who have Him working in their hearts cry and sing as we did tonight, today already. Because He is the Maker, our Creator, all that I am, I owe to Thee. Why? Because Thy wisdom, O Lord, hath fashioned me. I give my Maker thankful praise whose wondrous works my soul amazed. But secondly, Jesus is Lord not only by virtue of creation, but He is Lord especially because He is our Redeemer, because of redemption. That's the emphasis of the catechism. Why, wherefore callest thou Him our Lord? Because He hath redeemed us. Redeemed us. And to understand this redeeming work, we must first understand why He needed to redeem us. That is, because of the fall. The fall resulted in us, human beings, mankind, falling under the headship or lordship of Satan, of the devil himself. After creation in six days, mankind fell and we in Adam and Eve fell. We rejected God. We refused to submit to the Lord. And instead, we listened to the serpent. We rebelled against the Lord and listened to a different Lord. Ate of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this was not only what we did, but this was God's judgment upon us. He gave us what we wanted. He judged us with death, but also with this. On Satan's side. Under his lordship. Under his power. The catechism uses the words, all the power of the devil, to speak of deliverance. But the impl implied point is, before we were delivered, we were under the power of the devil. We're left to Satan. He had the right. He was given the right to rule over us. He had all the power to make us his slaves. We were under his tyranny in his kingdom. Under the prince of the power of the air that still works, Ephesians 2, in the children of disobedience today. We began like that. I'm not sure every reformed person knows this, especially those who have been born in the church. That you began this way. You were conceived in sin. And when we talk about being conceived in sin and being totally depraved to start, this, it means that we began as slaves to the devil. To illustrate, we began like the people of Israel in Egypt. Satan was, very really in time, Satan was our cruel Pharaoh. His demons, Satan's demons and fallen angels with him, were our slave drivers. And we could not do anything that Lord Christ wanted us to do. We could only do what Lord Satan wanted us to do. We had on the throne of our hearts an old man, and that old man is not Satan, but that old man does whatever Satan wants. And we could only sin, therefore. And he whipped us like slave drivers do. He whipped us with guilt and with fear. He drove us saying, you should earn, you should earn, you should merit. And then, of course, left us in despair because we're never good enough. 
Under his cruel tyranny, many are blind by pride to think that they are earning. And many are blind because of the many shallow pleasures of sin that he throws in our faces. And we think that is our comfort and our joy. We need to be redeemed from this Lord Satan. Every one of us needs that redemption. And that, you see, was what Christ did 2,000 years ago when He came to this earth. He did the work of redemption, that is, payment. To redeem is to pay for the rights of someone to be freed from slavery. To redeem is to pay for the rights of someone to be freed from slavery. That's what Christ did. He came to give His life, He said, a ransom for many. Mark 10, verse 45. What did He pay with? The Catechism says, quoting 1 Peter 1, not, not with silver and gold, but with His precious blood. Imagine that for a moment. If Jesus had tried to, to redeem, to pay for our rights to be delivered from the bondage to Pharaoh, Satan. Imagine if He paid for that with silver and gold. If He had piled up all the silver and gold of all the billionaires in this world, put everything in a pile together of all value in this universe, you know what? It wouldn't have been enough. He wouldn't have redeemed us. That wouldn't have been enough to pay Costly is life's ransom price. Psalter number 135. Far beyond all sacrifice. To pay for the right to be delivered from bondage to Satan's tyranny. The price was this. God's own blood. Don't ever underestimate the price it took. Acts 20.28 speaks of us being redeemed by His, that is God's own blood. And because God doesn't have blood as the eternal one, but blood was needed, God in the person of His Son took on flesh and blood so that He might shed that blood. And the shedding of the blood was not through the suffering of a pinprick. The shedding of the blood to pay to redeem was not merely with whips on his back. The shedding of blood to pay was not only with thorns in his skull. The shedding of blood was not only through the suffering of spikes in his hands and feet on that accursed cross, shame before the world. And pouring out of his blood came as he suffered more than that, far more. The hellish agony of God-forsakenness on that cross. Far, far beyond life's ransom price. Beyond all sacrifice is Christ's precious blood. And He fully paid. He did. He finished the work of paying for our rights as His children not only, but as His servants. We no longer rightfully belong to Lord Satan. If we are His elect people for whom He paid that price of His blood. But now we transition here, still talking about Christ's identity, to a work that this Redeemer still has to do after His redemption on the cross. He finished paying. The work has been done, earned, merited in that sense. But the Redeemer did more work. That should be obvious to us. After He paid the price of the shedding of His blood on the cross, 
He rose from the dead. That's part of His work. He ascended into heaven. And so we say this morning, not only is He Lord by virtue of creation, He's not only by Lord by virtue of redemption, but He's also Lord by virtue of exaltation. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And Peter preached that in Acts 2.36, God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Meaning, He made Him Lord and Christ by exalting Him from the grave to heaven. You see, if Jesus hadn't continued to work by rising from the dead, He would have remained dead, and a dead Lord is no Lord at all. Only a living Lord can be Lord. He rose and ascended. He sits. And now, perhaps the most important point about His Lordship He delivered or liberates us from the power of the devil. He's Lord by virtue of creation, redemption, exaltation, and liberation. The Catechism says, and hath delivered or liberated us from all the power of the devil. Don't, a warning, don't conflate Don't conflate His redeeming work and His liberating work. They're connected, but don't make them the same. This is one of the tactics of antinomians today. They love to conflate two ideas so that they can ignore or omit a doctrine of the Bible. Christ's Lordship includes this. He liberates His people. And to help us distinguish it, here is an illustration. Think of purchasing a house. Some of you, many of you, go and buy a house. And to buy a house, you pay for that house. Think redemption, redeeming, payment. You buy, you pay the money, maybe a down payment. You sign sign the paperwork for a loan and you close in the house. You have legal rights to the house. But often, buying a house in our day and age, there is what is called possession which is distinguished from the payment. Sometimes there is a delay between the time of purchasing and closing and the time of inhabiting, coming into that house, possessing that house, taking control of that house, doing with it what you want, living in it. Christ has done both. He has paid for rights to us, to you and me, which 1 Corinthians 6 calls, you are the house of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's paid for that already completely. It's done. But in time, distinguished from that, He actually possesses us. That is, He works His Holy Spirit inside of us. He takes off that old man off the throne of our hearts. He puts on the throne, the new man, as we've talked about before again and again because it's so important. And that new man is not Jesus Christ. That new man is the new heart that He works in us who does what Jesus Christ tells Him to do. And according to our new man, you and I do believe. You and I do repent. And you and I do good works according to His good pleasure. Our Lord's good pleasure. He reigns, you see, as Lord over our hearts, freeing us from bondage to Lord Satan. And if you say this morning, Satan still rules over me. My old man still rules over me. I'm still in bondage. And if that's what you mean by I'm still totally depraved, then you have not yet been delivered, that is, liberated by the Spirit of the Lord. And if He has died for you, pay the price for your redemption. And I say to you this morning, He will have His way with you. He will have His way with you. Because He's Lord. 
He will sweetly but powerfully bend your will and give you a new heart. That is His liberating work. To free you to do not whatever you want to do, but to submit to Him. Who are we then? If Christ's identity is Lord by virtue of creation, redemption, exaltation, and His liberation of our souls to His service. And it should be very obvious to us that our identity in Him is that we are servants. We are servants whom He has made willing in the day of His power. Psalm 110. We are servants who belong to Him and the Catechism uses a word that is not politically correct. But the Catechism in the Bible isn't always politically correct. And so we consider that word and boast in it. He hath made us His own property. Christ's work as Lord is to make us His property. You are His property. That is... Your body and your soul, the Lord says, is mine. I own you. You're not your own. I own you. No one else can say that. Don't you let anybody else say that. Christ says that. You tell them, no, one, oh, one person owns me, the Lord. But I'm His property. I'm a slave even. Are you offended by that? The world and the nominal Christian today is offended by that. They'll say, you're taking away my freedoms, my rights. No one owns me. That's abusive language. Now for the child of God, that's not only something he confesses and agrees with. I'm his property. But this is, remember, my only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but I belong unto my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. The believer finds comfort, joy. He boasts in this. I am God's. I am Christ's friend, servant. Yea, a willing, a willing possession and slave and property to Jesus Christ. Not just my soul, but my body too. All that I am. Your eyes, men. Your eyes, too, are not your own. To do with your eyes of this body, whatever you want your eyes to look at, they're the Lord's. These eyes are the Lord's. It's His property. Your private parts, they're not your own to give to a harlot, First Corinthians 6 says that we read. They're the Lord's, His property. He owns it. No trespassing, He says about His property. Your brain is not your own to stimulate, to pour into whatever you want. Your brain belongs to the Lord Christ. Your ears are not your own to listen to whatever music you want, to pound into your eardrums. Your ears belong to the Lord your lungs, your lungs are not your own to breathe in whatever you want. Your lungs belong to the Lord. Your whole body and soul is His. Your servants who are His property. Secondly, about your identity, your servants who are in His power. 
under his power. With that point, I take you to 1 Corinthians 6.12. All things are lawful unto me. We read there. Paul, as a servant of the Lord Christ, says, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Your identity is supposed to be that you are under the Lord, under His power. He rules over you. And thus you don't live as though something else is a power over you. And Paul is talking here about many things in this world that are lawful. All things are lawful. There are so many things, all kinds of things he's saying in this world that you are allowed to partake of. And it's also heresy to say that you're not allowed to partake of them. There are many things in this world that we are allowed to partake of. Many lawful things. Too many lawful things even. There's a multiplication of lawful things you can purchase on Amazon.com. There's a multiplication of lawful entertainments that you can participate in. All kinds of lawful things to pour into your system, to drink, to eat. But all things, Paul says, are not expedient, profitable. And especially this, I will not be brought under the power of any. Your device is not your Lord to govern you with its beeps and flashes and screens and beckonings and entertainment. Your device is not your Lord. Jesus is. Alcohol is not your Lord. It will not rule over you or have power over you. You may not say you need it. Or claim you don't. It's just a bad habit. And really do need it. You may not cross a line and claim it's just a buzz. It is not a power to help you have spiritual conversation. Alcohol is not your Lord. Jesus is. People are not your Lord. What they think. Their judgments. Their looks at you. Will not rule your life. Make you dress how they like. And live a life trying to perform for them. Jesus is your Lord. I will not be brought under the power of any. The servant of the Lord says. Yes, the old man is still in us. And because that old man is still as strong as before, raging in us, we will fall. We will even fall for a time under a certain power of sin. We will fail. We will act as we will act as servants of the devil still in our life. But we will not continue willfully in it. Not because of how strong you are, but because of how strong the Lord is who has put in your heart a new man. And if it be the case that you are still, and this is a hard word, beloved, but if it be the case that you are still under the power of sin and you are willfully continuing in it, using the doctrine of total depravity to justify yourself, then you are on the path to heaven no matter how much you deny it. Or on the path to hell no matter how much you deny it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says that explicitly. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. And, and if we stop there, we might think, look, look, all these sins, right? Of the, uh, of the world. There's effeminate, which refers to the, the, the sexual sins of, of lesbianism and 
abusers of themselves of mankind refers to the, the sins of homosexuals today and, and, and the many variations, twisted variations of sexual sin. Those who continue in such sins were, are not going to heaven. And that's true. That's what the Word of God says. But don't stop at verse 9. Along with those sins, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. What Paul is saying is that those who continue impenitent, willfully impenitent, are on the way to hell and not on the way to heaven. That's serious. And such were. Verse 11, such were some of you. That word or verb were is a continuing impenitence of the past. That's what it's referring to. You were in the past under bondage to Satan. Some of you were thinking like this. I know my theology. I took catechism. I was born in the church to believing parents, so I'm going to heaven. You were thinking like that while you gave yourself over to sin. You were on the way to hell, Paul says. You were, but now, no longer. Now you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Another way of saying that is you were in bondage to Satan, the Lord, the Lord, Pharaoh. But now the Lord Jesus Christ has washed you. He has, he has given you faith, that is. Joined you to Himself so that you know in your heart the washing away of all your sins. He's applied His blood to your consciousness. And knowing your justification, He sanctifies you and He causes you to live for Him. Yes. As Lord's Day 1 ends, that therefore by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me sincerely willing and ready to live unto Him. Sincerely ready and willing to live unto Him. Beloved, one, one doctrinal point before I get to the third point about our identity, what Christ has actually done to us, one doctrinal point is that when He works as Lord upon our souls, He actually changes our will. He actually frees our will. He infuses new qualities into our will so that now we want to do what is right and we choose to do what is right. That actually happens inside of us because He works in us both to will and to do. This is an error again, both of the antinomians and Arminians. This is something that the pre-confession class recently studied and I pointed it out to them. That both antinomians and Arminians deny God's or the Lord's work upon man's will. The Arminian denies it this way. God leaves the will of man on its own to choose or not to choose whether to accept Jesus Christ. Salvation is left up to the will of man, which will God does not work in. That's the Arminian error. But on the other hand, there is the antinomian error that says we are stalks and blocks on the way to heaven. 
And so the will again is left unaffected. Christ, as it were, drags us to heaven while we still want to continue in sin. That's the same thing as the Arminian error, just on the other side of things. The truth is that the Lord Christ is so powerful and so gracious that having redeemed us, He comes and He takes our hearts and He bends our will so that we want to serve Him. The calling has been implied. We don't make ourselves servants. But since Christ works in us, we will inevitably be servants. The calling then is that we are to repent and believe that again. Repent and believe truly in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the true Lord Jesus Christ is not someone who winks at sin, nor is He someone that says you deal with your sin yourself. But repent and believe means trust in the Lord Jesus Christ who cleanses you from guilt, redeems you, and liberates you from all the power of Satan. And then the calling is live. Live as servants. As though you are His. Diligent in your service. Faithful in your service. Yes, beloved servants, servants, servants work. That's what a servant is. Servants do good works. That's what servants do. They're not passive or apathetic. They're empowered by the Lord Christ to work for Him, to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Him. It will not be perfect on this earth. The new man so reigns and heeds the Lord Christ to serve Him, to submit to Him, to obey Him. And hearing this Word, which is from the Lord Christ Himself. You don't hear a mere man. You hear the Lord speaking, I pray. For some, it will lead to hardening. Because the Lord does that too. For some... There is a murmuring that the sermon today was too much about what man must do. The twisting and misinterpreting. And that can be intimidating to a preacher. But Lord, my Lord, calls me. In Jude 1, Quoted from there in the introduction, and I'll quote in the end. In Jude 1, verse 3. He exhorts me, I exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It's a calling to all of us, but it's a calling to me as a preacher. Contend for the faith as once delivered unto the saints. And do you know what specific truth? The Lord Christ in Jude calls us to contend for earnestly. Yes, generally speaking, for all the doctrines of God's Word, the heart of the Gospel of justification by faith alone included. But this specifically in Jude, this reformed truth, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what we are called earnestly to contend for. The word hardens some hearts. But for you who believe, there is a softening. An irresistible working even. 
to give faith for the first time in Jesus as both Savior and Lord, and to strengthen that faith so that there is a desire more and more to live unto Him. And the promise to you who believe in this Lord and do want by His power to live unto Him, the promise too is that He will never allow anyone to pluck you out of His hand. And one day, you'll all deny Him as Lord. Every knee shall bow. Of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let's pray. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is Thy name in all the earth. We praise Thee that Jesus Christ is the Lord who 6,000 years ago did create, who 2,000 years ago did redeem, who within our souls and time after we were conceived and born in sin, did liberate and free our hearts in service of Thee. We glorify Thee in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, so powerful is He that Thou hast drawn us. He has drawn us to Thyself and to His service. We pray earnestly that Thou would help us to contend for the faith, to fight also against that old man, and to live more and more as Thy servants. Not Satan's servants, but those under Thy Lordship. Comfort us also. Comfort us in knowing that the Lord does cover our sins. And though, that, though we were in sin and in bondage to sin, now we are washed, sanctified, justified with Thy Spirit. Speak to us, O God, and make us more sincerely willing and ready from now on to live unto Thee. For Jesus' sake, Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hope PR Ministry Podcast. We are a part of the Protestant Reformed Churches in America, and we are located in West Michigan. Our goal is to spread our distinctive Reformed beliefs. If you have any questions or feedback, please feel free to reach out to us at hoperwc at gmail.com and visit our website at hopeprchurch.org if you would like to learn more about our beliefs. You can also worship with us every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 5 p.m.